Good morning. I'm going to read for us John 4. It's in your bulletin. If you can read the print, I can't. So I've got a phone up here to make it a little easier to read. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and read. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
Let's pray for Robin as he preaches. Father, I thank you so much that you have given Robin and Marilyn to our fellowship. Lord, that they lead us and guide us and that they have a heart for your people and for your word, that the word of God could be preached weekly to hear the truths that you have for us. And so today I just pray that you would lead and guide in the words that Robin says. And I pray for each one of us as we sit and listen. Oh, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts. Help us to see and understand in so much more detail how great is your love for us. Lord Jesus, that you would come to this world and die for us. We thank you and praise you. And I pray now that as Robin speaks, that this love of yours would be made so clear to us. In your name I now pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I want to start off by uh, expressing my thanks to the Church Council for giving me permission to um, take off last week to Dubai. Um, we flew out late on Sunday night to Dubai and got back early Saturday morning. So we, we actually missed two nights sleep um, flying through the night to Dubai. Um, uh, I mention that because uh, I, I want to just share some... So you, all we ever tend to hear in the news is bad news, and that's understandable. Um, that's what that's what you know tends to be uh, the focus of the news. But uh, so we spent the last week with a team of people who are working in Afghanistan, um, team of eight people from six nations, uh, and I'm going to try and do this without crying, and um, just heard some really encouraging stories from that nation. I mean, these are people, a bunch of, a number of them had been on the last military evacuation flight out of Kabul um, last August. And um, they're back in country, um, back serving the people. There. Back serving the people they're called to serve. Um, touching lives. Um, um, amazing stories of uh, even in the midst of the Taliban um, regime, uh, you know, girls still being taught, you know, um, doing small-scale relief programs for for families that they know. Well, like small-scale, like two and a half thousand families. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, just wanted to share that God is still at work through his people in Afghanistan. And um, yeah, that, that was just such an encouragement to me. Um, and like there's one person in that group who's been serving in Afghanistan for 35 years. She has gone through four violent changes of um, government, um, been, been evacuated, I don't know how many times. Um, yeah keeps going back to, you know, because God's call is on her life to serve these people. And it was a privilege to be there. Okay. That's it then. All right. Uh, I want to start off the um, message this morning with a few lines from a Christmas carol I grew up with 
called Love Came Down at Christmas. Love Came Down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels gave the sign. At this time of year, I'm actually glad not to be in the West. Um, now, I'm not, a, I'm not some kind of Grinch who hates Christmas. I just get tired of a month of radio stations trying to outdo each other, being all Christmas all the time. You know what I mean? Um, a few years, years ago, when I was pastoring in Canada, um, I went online to our local radio station and looked at the recently pay, played page. So they had listed all the songs they'd played in the last 24 hours, all 281 of them. Um, and many of those were multiple playings of the same song, usually by different artists. For instance, in the 24 hours I looked at, you could have heard the Christmas song, otherwise known as Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, uh, sung 11 times. Twice by Celine Dion, twice by Devine Brown, twice by Natalie Cole, twice by Gloria Estefan, and once each by Ma Michael Bupley, Nat King, Cole, Nat King Cole, and the Carpenters. So you could actually compare, contrast and compare, if you like. Um, of course, out of those 281 songs, only 19, about 6%, had anything to do with Christ. Okay? Now, this isn't a rant about how Western society is no longer Christian. Societies change over time, and actually there's some good things involved, and uh, people no longer assuming they're Christian because they're born in a so-called Christian country. That's not my point. My point is that as Christians, uh, like everybody else, we're shaped by the culture that we grew up in. Um, and the messages that we heard growing up around this time of year um, often clash with what Scripture tells us. So I'm glad I don't have to worry about my ideas of Christmas being shaped by songs that mainly have to do with the weather in the Northern Hemisphere at this time of year, family gatherings, and a very fuzzy kind of love. It's like if you go on Netflix right now, you know, the first thing they show you is like holiday romances. And there's like a whole, there's a I never knew there were so many romantic comedies based around Christmas. It's like, seriously? Anyway, so we're going to talk about love, a different kind of love. Love came down at Christmas. Love, all oh, lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. So this, this Advent, we're meditating on what it means to say that Jesus has come into the world. We've looked at his coming to Simeon and Anna. And in coming weeks, we'll look at his coming to the disciples in the boat on, the, on the, the, the lake and to Lazarus in the tomb. But this week we're looking, uh, we're going to talk about love that came down at Christmas. We'll be looking at what happened one hot day when Jesus comes to a Samaritan woman by a well. Excuse me, I'm still struggling with the um, aftermath of my COVID. So I'm just going to take one of these so I don't cough and splutter all through this. Excuse me. Um, so as the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, and when the Lord learned of this, he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. So Jesus is on the road again. Have you ever noticed how much of what we know about Jesus' life is about him traveling, mainly walking, the odd boat trip, and a donkey ride at the end, but mainly walking. 
and all of it over an area that was about 150 kilometers long uh, by about 75 kilometers wide, or about the size of the province of Antalya, give or take. From the moment he began his public ministry, Jesus never stayed anywhere very long. So in this passage, he's traveling again. This time he's on his way north from Jerusalem back to Galilee, where he grew up and where he had his base of operations in Capernaum. So he's on his way through Samaria en route to Galilee. It's a hot day, and around noon, he and his disciples stop by an ancient well. Disciples go into town to buy something for lunch while Jesus waits by the well. Along comes a woman, and since Jesus doesn't have anything to let down into the well to draw water, he asks her to get him a drink. That all seems perfectly normal, right? Except, according to the rules, Jesus shouldn't even have been talking to her, never mind asking her for a drink. There were just too many barriers. For starters, she was a Samaritan. To say that Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other is putting it mildly. They despised each other. Um, their enmity went back almost a thousand years um, to when the nation of Israel split into two, Judah and Israel. Samaria, Samaria was what was left of the ancient northern kingdom of uh, Israel. And many Jewish rabbis taught that the Samaritans were unclean, you shouldn't even talk to them, and you certainly should never you know, drink with them. I grew up in Scotland at a time when the enmity between Protestants and Catholics was still very strong. I don't know what it's like now. I haven't lived there in like 40 years. But that back then, you know, It'd been strong. It'd been strong for 500 years. Okay, this is a long, long-standing enmity. My mother's family was Protestant. My father's family was Catholic. That meant that we were the black sheep of both families. Um, we would visit my mother's brother and my father's sisters a few times a year. We all lived within a few miles of each other. They never came to our house. Seriously, as far as back as I remember, to when, you know, from when I was, as, as far, from as far back as I remember, to when I left home at 17, not one of them ever came to our house. Like I said, I don't know what it's like now. But in some cities in those days, Protestants didn't walk through Catholic neighborhoods and vice versa. That's the kind of enmity that existed between Jews and Samaritans. But... Samaria was also the shortest route between Jerusalem and the Jewish communities in Galilee. So the you know, average Jew would grit their teeth, aim to spend as little time as possible in enemy territory, and try to avoid talking to anyone. So no wonder she was surprised that Jesus would talk to her. She's not just a Samaritan, she's a Samaritan woman. From the writings that we have around Jesus' time, it's clear that the culture didn't have a particularly positive view of women. Um, women were perceived as responsible for most sin, especially the sexual kind. Josephus, contemporary historian, says that the law holds women to be inferior in all matters. Sirach says, better is the wickedness of a man than a woman who does good. There you go. That's what he says. A Jewish man prayed three benedictions each day, including one in which he thanked God he was not a woman. You get the picture, right? So strike one, she's a Samaritan. Strike two, she's a woman. And on top of that, it's a little strange that she's at the well this time of day. 
women would go to get out to get water either in the morning or the evening. That's pretty standard all over the world. Um, people would go, the women would go to to, to the the river or the well or whatever to get water in the morning or evening. It was cooler then, and and there were also communal times when the women would get together and get caught up in each other's lives. So this woman was at the well by herself in the middle of the day. That probably means that she was an outcast. And that would be understandable given what we find out about her life a little bit later. See, Samaritans were no less religious than Jews. And this woman had been married five times and was currently living with the man she wasn't married to. Like the song says, she'd been looking for love in all the wrong places. And the respectable woman of the village didn't want didn't want to have anything to do with her. So many barriers. But when Jesus comes, he breaks down barriers. Love came down at Christmas and broke down the barriers that keep people excluded. If you'd asked any of the people who came to hear Jesus speak, they would have agreed that this woman was excluded. She was excluded from God's will, from God's presence, from God's love. They all knew the kind of people that God was interested in. Morally upright, righteous Jewish men were at the top of that list. Shady Samaritan women probably didn't even make the list at all. Okay, But here's Jesus sitting by the well talking to this woman. Because part of the message of Christmas is that Jesus doesn't just come for the good people, the nice people, the well-behaved people. He came for them, but he also came for the outcast and the outsider as well. So this Christmas, millions of people will watch one movie version or another of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. It has become, for many families, a tradition, Christmas tradition. My favorite is the 1951 British version with Alistair Sim in the lead role because it keeps very close to the original. In fact, it stays so close to the original that when it was first released in the States in 1952, they released it at Halloween rather than Christmas because it was felt it was too dark for a Christmas movie. But when Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, and the other, there's a whole bunch of Christmas stories. I don't know if you Christmas Carol is the most famous, but there's a whole bunch of other ones. Like, you know, there's one called The Chimes, which I particularly like. When he wrote those in the, the 1940s, sorry, the 1840s, anyway, in the 1840s, um, he didn't write them to be heartwarming stories of Christmas cheer. He intended them to be disturbing. That's the point. Like the Old Testament prophets, he wanted to paint a picture of social evil and hold it up so that people would recognize themselves in it and change their behavior. And one of the recurring themes in Dickens's Christmas stories is about how Christmas is a time to include the excluded, the outsider, the poor. I grew up in Scotland. I became a believer when I was 17. I moved to the Netherlands when I was 21, but it wasn't until I moved to Canada at the age of 26 that I first heard the phrase, Christmas is about family. Now, I know that Marilyn and I are looking forward to our son and our daughter being with us this Christmas, 
So I'm a little conflicted as I say this, but Christmas is not about family, okay? And I think that uh, what um, uh, Rose shared this morning about uh, what we're, we're planning on doing on Christmas morning is a, an echo of that. Just a little bit of my my background in, in ministry. I, as you many of you know, I pastored an inner city church for ten years in Canada, and our practice was that Christmas Eve, the congregation would get together and cook multiple turkeys. And we would have a community Christmas Eve dinner for the neighborhood. We ran a, a drop-in on Tuesday, evening, Tuesday mornings and all kinds of people came. And so it was mainly people from the neighborhood, um, some people who were homeless, whatever. We would, we'd, feed, we'd feed about 120 people in our, in our church hall every Christmas Eve. Our kids to this day, for them, that's what Christmas means, is feeding Christmas, feeding Christmas to people. A dinner to people. Um, and then on Christmas morning, we would actually have a, a, a readings and carols ser- service in the church. Um, so that's, that's my background. That's my, my traditions, which you know, we don't do here. But So, um, like I said, I'm happy that our family is, you know, our, our family is going to be get together this Christmas. But Christmas is not about family. At least it isn't about family if we turn in on ourselves and turn our backs on the world. And for me, sadly, that's the picture that phrase conjures up. Family members gathered around around the table, facing each other with their backs to the world. Because if, if Christmas is about family, then there's all kinds of people who are excluded because they don't have families or because they have dysfunctional families. But if Christmas is about love, then everyone is included. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. But it wasn't romantic love, as is as you might think from all the Netflix stuff that's on the list right now. Or it wasn't even family affection. The kind of love that came down at Christmas is agape love. The kind of self-giving, self-sacrificial love that eventually took Jesus to the cross. But on the way there, we see him reaching out to drunks, tax collectors, prostitutes, shady, shady Samaritan women, as well as the Pharisees and community leaders like Nicodemus. Christmas is not primarily about celebrating your own circle of insiders. It's about reaching out with love to outsiders. Because, to paraphrase Paul, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, outsiders, outcasts, excluded, Christ came and died for us. And it doesn't help to remind, doesn't hurt to remind ourselves of that. And I think it'd be good you know, for us to remember also in prayer um, those in Europe who are particularly struggling now with a huge influx of refugees. The same here, right? People who are separated from their family, mainly women and children, who are separated from their menfolk because of the war in Ukraine. And for them, as outsiders, as refugees, it's going to be a challenge this Christmas. So it's out of his love for us that God 
in Christ offers us life. Because you see, at a physical level, water is life, right? You can survive without food for a month. Without water, you're dead in three or four days. Jesus and this woman are sitting at the well. Without that well, there would be no crops, no flocks, no village, no life. Jesus recognizes that and moves the conversation up a notch from physical life to eternal life. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later on in chapter 7 of John, we read this. Verse starting verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus is sitting by a well, talking to a very unrespectable person, and offering her the gift of life in the Spirit. He's offering her the opportunity to experience God's life flowing through her. And there are no barriers to that offer. Isn't an offer that only applies to some and not to others? It's an offer that he makes to everyone, and that offer still stands. In love, Jesus came to earth to offer life, eternal life, to anyone who will believe in him. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. And when that love came down that first Christmas, when Jesus came then, and when Jesus comes into lives today, he reveals who God is. When he comes to the woman at the well, he reveals himself as the Messiah, God's anointed one. In Greek, the word is Christ, which is where we get Christmas from. So he tells the woman by the well, True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. It's interesting. This is one of the most explicit statements of Jesus' messiahship. And it doesn't go to some religious leader. It doesn't go to some respectable person. It goes to an outcast. He reveals himself to an outcast as the messiah. And this is what Christmas is about. God revealing himself to us in Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. Born as a baby in Bethlehem, lived as a man and died on the cross for our sins to show us just how much God loves us. And he rose again from the dead to lead the way for us into eternal life. That's what Christmas is about. In the meantime, 
He gives us the gift of his spirit so that streams of living water can flow out of our lives and touch the lives of those around us. Bringing something of God's love wherever we go. This is what Christmas is about. This is why Jesus came. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels gave the sign. Let's pray. Lord, this first Christmas after the, since the start of the war in Ukraine, um, Lord, we pray for all those who are displaced because of that conflict. Pray particularly for women and children separated from their menfolk, living as refugees in so many places, including here. Lord, we pray for your, your grace to be upon their lives. Lord, we pray for your people, um, wherever these um, wanderers, these refugees find themselves. We pray that your people would reach out to them in love and include them, despite being outsiders, despite not necessarily speaking the language or whatever, Lord. We pray that you would empower your people to open their hearts to all those who are displaced. Lord, we pray specifically for the ministry to the orphans here in Antalya that um, that would continue and that the, the, uh, this Christmas would be special for them as they experience your love through your people. Lord, we thank you for Alexi's um, recovery. Pray that that would continue. Uh, he's been so involved in that ministry. Lord, we recognize that uh, it was pretty scary for a while there. Pray that you would continue to, to heal him and that he would continue to, continue to improve. And Lord, I thank you for the good news that I heard from these friends and former colleagues working in Afghanistan. News that we don't often hear uh, in the media. But Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in that land through your people, through all those of goodwill who seek to help that, the, 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 the folks of that country. And Lord, we pray for, Lord, it's a failed state, and we pray for a solution to the, the, uh, the, uh, the governments of that land, Lord. That it would be a land where those in leadership know what makes for peace and justice. We don't know how that would happen, Lord, but we pray. We pray that for all the nations of the world, Lord, because we know that's what you desire, that every man needs his vine and fig tree should live in peace and unafraid. That's our, that's our vision, Lord, for the future. Um, it's not the current reality, but this Christmas, as we reflect on your coming, Lord, we recognize Neath his vine and fig tree would 
one day be able to live in peace and unafraid. In your name we pray. Amen. Is this dead?